Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life. So we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at ChristChapelCollege.org and on Instagram at ChristChapelCollege. How are we doing? How are you guys? Yes? Three people are good? Okay, good. Or you just don't know how to answer an awkward question like that, which is fine. That's on me. Um, I love you guys. We are jumping into Romans chapter 12 today. Uh, so if you got your Bibles, Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be. Um, I love it. We are going to, if you've been tracking with us, we've been going through the whole book of Romans since the uh, beginning of last semester. And, and there are some weeks where I'm up here, and last week I think we preached an entire chapter 11 and 36 verses. This morning, guys, we are preaching, I'm preaching two verses. We're going to jump into verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 12, and it is so good and it is so rich. And you'll see our pace will start to change over the next um, month or so as we preach God's word, uh, because what Paul does is so important that we slow down in some areas. And I'll explain why, and, and we'll kind of see what, what he's doing here in a second. But this, if I'm allowed to have favorite verses, this is one of my favorite uh, two verses in scripture. Uh, I love it. it. It does a couple of things. Um, it answers a couple of, I think, pretty huge fundamental questions. And one of them is this. One of them is it, it really answers the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? Right? What does it mean to actually follow Christ? Uh, and we get false definitions of that all the time. I grew up in Texas, which means everybody was a Christian just because you're in Texas. Uh, for most of you guys who grew up in the Bible Belt, that's kind of uh, the MO that, oh yeah, you're a Christian because you go to church or because you're from the South or because your parents were or, or whatever that was, or you, you prayed a little prayer at a kid's camp one time uh, or a VBS. And, and, and I think this, what this does is it really helps answer in a, in a deep, mature way, what does it really mean to follow Christ? What does it really mean to be a Christian? Uh, and the other question it answers uh, that I think is so pertinent, specifically to, to you guys in this room, um, it, it helps us discern. It shows us how to discern God's will. And I spend a lot of time having coffee and conversations with so many of you and other young adults and understanding God's will, right? This God who's in control, he knows what's gonna happen. He also knows what's best, and he's got kind of this pathway forward of, you know, he knows the right decision for me to make, and so as a Christian and as somebody who's trying to follow him, I want to follow him well, and I want to do what he wants me to do, and so God, would you show me your will, and this really unpacks for us how we know his will, and, and whether it's you're wondering, man, should I date this person? Should I not? Should I change degrees? What, I'm getting close to graduation. What do I do? I'm, I'm working. How do I need to be spending my life? What's my next step? All of those questions about God's will that I think are massively, um, they weigh on us uh, and they're incredibly important. And the decisions you make as young adults in the window of life that you're in are just, they have exponential impact in the rest of your life. And so today we're going to look at those two things really, really sweetly in just these two verses, how we know God's will, how we know what a Christian is. That's where we're going to be at. So verse one, verse one, uh, the apostle Paul says this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
okay, a couple of big things are happening here, right? Two, two big things are happening. The first thing is this word therefore, and we've talked about this before because um, Paul builds the book of Romans like a legal case, right? He just builds it kind of argument after argument, and, he, and it's really this brilliant 16-chapter case for Christianity and the gospel. But he, he says in here, I appeal to you, therefore, and so you have to ask, as you study scripture, what is that therefore, therefore? And so in order to ask that question, we look back, and what Paul is doing right here is he is segueing, right? I would, say it's the, I would say it's the largest pivot in the entire book of Romans between chapter 11 and chapter 12. And so what our author is saying is he's saying, hey, I appeal to you, therefore. And what he's saying is, because of the last 11 chapters— he just made 11 chapters of arguments and truth and dropping bombs on us. And then he gets to chapter 12, verse 1, and he says, because of all that, therefore, if that is all true, then this is how we live. And so from here on out in the book of Romans, it's one of the reasons that we've got to slow down. He just breaks into all of these tiny application points of if this is who God is, chapters 1 through 11 is the theology of who God is and who we are. We were broken sinners in need of grace, and he gave us grace and, and, and this gift of faith, and look what he's doing. And then chapters 9 through 11 is this weighty theology of how he interacts with us and the elect and the Jews who hadn't put their faith. And so he just lays this case. It's who God is. And more specifically, chapters 1 through 11 is not just who God is. He's making the case that what we see in these 11 chapters is that God is merciful. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, or if you've got a, another translation, it might say, in, in view of the mercies of God, in light of God's mercies. If I was going to summarize chapter 1 through chapter 12, this would have saved us a ton of, week, of weeks. I don't know why we didn't think about this, Francis. Um, if I was going to summarize all of chapter 1 through chapter 11 in the book of Romans, it would be, our God is merciful. Our God is merciful is what we just saw. A powerful God who deals with people who don't deserve him and loves us anyway and saves us and calls us and adopts us and gives us his spirit and the spirit has all these amazing effects and, and fruit of that. And so we have this merciful God. Therefore, in light of that, in light of the God who we worship in this coffee shop on Sunday mornings who is so merciful, here's how we now need to live for the next four chapters, here's what it looks like. And specifically, this really, really important big idea, here's what it means for us as followers of that merciful God. Present your bodies. Because of all that, because of who he is, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice is this theme that we're going to just have to tattoo in our brains and in our hearts and chew on that and understand that for the next 40 years and dig deeply in this idea of we are called in light of God's mercy because of who he is to now our response is to be living sacrifices. And it tells us what doing that is. We, if we do that, it's holy, it's acceptable to God. That's our spiritual worship, which we'll talk about here in a second. And so the second big thing happening in this verse is this concept of living sacrifice. And so we've got to unpack it. We've got to understand what it means to be a living sacrifice. Um, how I would define it is that a, a living sacrifice is living a life, right? Living your life as an offering to your God. 
that in light of who God is, that that's what you are now called to do. That if you say, I'm a Christian, it doesn't mean because you grew up in the South. It doesn't mean because your parents and grandparents were. It doesn't mean because you go to church. It doesn't mean even that you believe in Jesus, right? It's a faith thing. It's not just, yes, I believe. I mean, we, we saw in Romans, even the demons believe in Jesus. Okay, what does it look like to have my faith in Christ? It looks like I'm a living sacrifice. My life is an offering. I live my life as an offering to God. Um, the the words there that Paul uses uh, are unique in how he uses them, but it's not a unique concept. Um, he uses it all throughout scripture. This idea of living, we know what, what that is, but the, the word sacrifice would have had a, a, I mean, it would have been jawing and, and eye-opening to the context that he wrote it to because everyone would have immediately had an image of what that meant because they lived in the first century with sacrifices, right? Whether they were Jewish and went to synagogues and went to the temple and made sacrifices or whether they were polytheistic and worshiped other gods, sacrifice was a part of the culture. And so they would have very much had this image of a, of a sacrifice being this animal bled out, lifeless, bled out on an altar for whoever their God was. That would have been the image that popped into their mind. And so here we have Paul saying, that's us. We are now that poured out, but living that way, living as an offering, constantly poured out to God. That's what it means in light of who he is, what he's done. That's what it means. And although this idea of living sacrifice was so weighty and so powerful, such a punch in the gut to the Romans who would have been reading this, um, it wasn't unique to, to this letter. The concept is all throughout scripture. Um, this concept of what it means to be a Christian is somebody who is poured out. Galatians 2.20, um, Paul says, for I have been crucified with Christ. I've been killed. I've been sacrificed. I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives within me. Same concept for our faith. Uh, Jesus says it. Um, we'll put up on the screen, Matthew 16, 24, 25, and 26. Jesus defines, here's what it looks like to follow me. You want to follow me? You want to be a Christ follower? Here's what it looks like. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, which would have been death. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? So even Christ's words constantly were, were a call he wasn't calling people to come to church once a week. He was calling people to say, lay down your life and follow me. That's what it looks like. Be this living sacrifice offered to God. Um, my grandmother uh, had this dog, Sadie. And I, I want to try to illustrate it this way. I was there. My brother and I were there when my grandmother, her name is Nani. I don't actually know what her real name is, but uh, we knew her as Nani. Uh, and Nani uh, went, to the, went to the animal shelter, and my brother and I got to go with her and picked out a dog, and she was kind of, you know, you know what, it's time, and she was a lonely widow in a big house by herself, and so we kind of got to help her uh, pick out Sadie, and Sadie was this cute little, you know, mutt, long-haired mutt, and, uh, and so, so when we were getting Sadie, she's like filling out the paperwork and, and paying for the, the shelter and the shots and all the stuff they do, and they were like, hey, we got to tell you, just so you know, um, that, uh, that Sadie 
uh, has been returned to us before. So somebody has already adopted Sadie, got her home, and after a few days was like, nope, this is not a good dog, brought her back to us. And we just feel like we, we got to tell you, uh, sh- those people really complained that she was just too wild and too hyper and all those things. And, and my nanny was like, nope, we've bonded, we're good. You know, we made eye contact. This is the dog I'm taking home. Thanks for letting me know. So she took Sadie home, and Sadie was wild, man. Sadie was wild, and she was like a, she wasn't a big dog, but she wasn't a little dog. She was kind of medium-sized, and she chewed things she shouldn't have chewed, and she jumped on my sweet old Nani, and, and, and she was a handful. She really was. She was a handful, but my Nani just loved her, and didn't take her back, didn't give up on her, just loved her and loved her, and they lived in this, this big old house uh, that she had uh, since, since she, her husband was still alive, and so, you know, Sadie just became this sweet companion. And, and she loved Sadie so well. And in turn, then eventually Sadie just learned to just love my nanny. And when my nanny got to where she couldn't live in a house by herself, we moved her into assisted living, right? And so it was this assisted living apartment where she'd go eat her meals with other old people and they eat jello and talk and play bridge and do the things that old people do. Talk about the crazy college kids, uh, wild they are with their backwards hats and saggy pants. And so, <clears throat> you know, she lived in this assisted living spot. And Sadie obviously came with her. And Sadie was just her companion. And there in her little apartment in, in her assisted living place, there was Sadie and just, and just comforting her and loving her. And, and Sadie was all about Nani, just all about Nani. Wherever she went, there she was at her feet, comforting her, just there with her when she was, when she was alone. And then when her health deteriorated, they moved her into you know, more of the nursing side where nurses could come in. And Sadie went with her over there. And when it got really bad, you know, my Nani was sleeping like 20 hours a day. Um, and she just wasn't good, and my nanny would wake up, and she'd be disoriented and confused and not know what time of day it was just because her body was shutting down, and she was just sleeping all day, and there was Sadie, just always on her bed, always there, always this, Sadie's life was about nanny, and then eventually got to where her health was like, okay, they need to move her to the more extreme side of, of the hospital where there's real, you know, medical care, and we were like, she couldn't take Sadie, and we are like, nope, She's not going without Sadie. And so we moved her into our house and had hospice and, and she passed away. And when she passed away in our house, Sadie was sitting there on the bed with her. Sadie's life was about my nanny, just comforting her, loving her, just whatever she needed, she was there, protecting her from weird nurses that came into her room and she was sleeping, whatever it took, that's what she was. That's a silly story about a dog. We are created in the image of God. We have a God who said, I'm not giving up on them. We have a God who came and found us and said, because he's merciful, said, I'm gonna adopt you as mine. Are you sure? (laughs) This one? This one's, we've taken this one back a few times. Are you sure? No, I am loving this one. He loved us first while we were wild, while we were sinners, while we were far off. We're made in the image of God. And in response, then our life gets to be about this is our purpose. Would our life be about this God? Would our life be a constant offering to say, how can I make much of that? Except our God is powerful and strong and he doesn't actually need us. He doesn't need us to comfort and take care of him. But we still get to be in his presence and make much of him the way we're designed to. We are called to be living sacrifices with our talents, with our gifts. We are living sacrifices. So how do we do that? How do we do that? That's the That's what this is then going to start to answer. How do we do that? Before I answer the question how, I feel compelled um, to ask the question, 
do you really want it? And that's obviously rhetorical, but I want you to think about it. Um, Do you really want to know how? And not know how, but do you really want to be a living sacrifice? Is that really something in us, in you? Because the truth is, um, this idea of being a living sacrifice, it really will. I joked about it. It's a, the next 40 years of my life is going to be continuing to dig deeper in the truth of understanding of what it looks like for my life on a daily basis to be this offering up for God. And, and it's crazy hard. Right? It will take us the rest of our life to do that. It, it's not, the how is not um, my church attendance, the how is not, I, I just need great quiet times. Um, the, the, the how is not just I need to live a, a more moral life than immoral life, right? The how is a, is a deep dive in a, in a surrender and a letting go of the God of the universe. And I think we have to ask ourselves, is that really what we want? We are committed at this church and this ministry to not sell you short, right? To not sell you short or the gospel short and to challenge you with what it really looks like to follow Christ. Because we think if we just give you a shallow version of, hey, following Christ is just keep your head above water and do more good than bad. That's not what it looks like. It looks like your life is not your own. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. And if you think (laughs) my life not being my own, that seems like a lot. Absolutely is. That seems really hard. It absolutely is. But we're committed as believers, as people who are going to preach God's word to say, what is the deep truth of scripture and what is it truly calling us to and not settle for some neutered version of Christianity that's safe and comfortable and checks the box and you're a Christian, but but you're not living a life where you say it's not my own. That's hard. Do we really want that? to be a living sacrifice, to live a life that says, okay, I'm yours. If we say yes, then we dig into how. And the how is right here in the text. There's, there's two uh, big ways of the how, right? So how we do it are these two really significant um, sources. And the first, how we do it is we surrender. I think that's intuitive from the text, right? The idea of sacrifice in verse one, living sacrifice, is this idea that we live a life surrendered, that our life is in our own, right? Um, It's the same concept of abiding in John 15, right? In John 15, Jesus talks about this idea of abiding, which means that we are plugged into him, uh, we are the vine, he is the branches, and that really we're just submitted, right? He's doing all the work, right? I'm just a vine, and, and, and he's doing all the work, and my job is just to be open to him, Not working, not striving, but saying, okay, this is all about you, right? It's the biblical concept of rest is the idea of surrender, right? Biblical concept of rest is saying, I can't do it, right? The the idea of a Sabbath is saying, I'm I'm not going to be able to accomplish this, so I'm going to surrender to you who can, resting in you, right? It's the concept of being dead to yourself, like we talked about in Galatians uh, chapter 2. Surrender, and it is a daily struggle to lay down our lives, right? To lay down our lives, our wills, our desires, our glory, our approval, our status, to lay that down for his. To make our lives about, I'm going to surrender to your glory, your will, your plan, your way, instead of our own. Um, If you were to look at my journal, don't look at my journal, that's really rude, but if you were, uh, you would see a really constant theme every day. I journal, and I'm not amazingly disciplined. I'm very feast or famine in my, in my journaling. Um, 
but there's a constant theme in, in all of the journal um, entries that I write that is this constant war within myself of um, I will say my life is not my own. I will say my life is yours. And I don't do that. I do that to remind myself. I do that to prompt myself that this constant exercise in a daily way of surrender, of saying, hey, this isn't about me. This isn't for me. This isn't uh, because of me. All of the prepositions, right? It, it is not through me or by me or for me. This life I live is for you. It is through you. It is by you. It is from you. It is to you. Um, worship itself, right? When the band comes up here later and they, they worship or when we're sitting in here Thursday night worshiping or we're in Broken Bow a week from now and we're worshiping in the woods, I, I will guarantee you what is happening in my life, in my heart during worship is a battle, a tug of war is happening in my heart during worship where I still want to sit on the throne, right? And I'm having to take my heart and say, no, I'm surrendered to you, God. I'm surrendered to you. You are the point. You are the one. I'm resting in you. I'm, I'm, I'm yours. I'm not my own. And taking my anxieties and, and taking my accomplishments and taking my wins and losses and saying, it doesn't matter. They're all yours. The best days I've got, the best deeds I've got, the best things I've got are, are filthy rags compared to who you are. I'm yours. And that, that is what it looks like to surrender, this constant warring in my heart to make much of him. Every day, what do you need to surrender? What is it in your life that you say, ah, I've, this is mine? Right? Maybe it's what other people think of you. And again, this isn't a one-time thing. Maybe for you it's a one-time thing. Talk to me if it is. For me, this is a daily thing that I just keep going back to saying, no, no, I want it. And then I have to say, oh, yeah, but, but I'm not designed to hold it. What is that for you? What does that look like for you? What do you need to surrender in your life? Where's your anxiety coming from? What, at the, what is at the root of your anxiety? What is at the root of, of your loneliness or fear or discontentment? Or what's at the root of your ambition, right? Good ambition, but is there something at the root that says, man, this is all about me? I don't know. Ask the Lord. Ask a God who knows you better than you know yourself. Lord, what is it today that I need to surrender? Tomorrow morning, wake up. God, what is it? Now, this Monday morning that I need to surrender to you, would I live a life of surrender? And then secondly, the second and, and last thing we're going to see in this passage is this idea of renewal. So we surrender, right? But we, not on, we don't only surrender, we also have this idea of renewal. Verse 2. Verse 2. Man, we're just now getting to verse 2. Man, I love this book. <clears throat> Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so this second point of how we become living sacrifices, it's surrender, but the second point of it is really a two-sided coin, this point is, okay? And so we see it here in verse two. It's this idea of no longer being conformed and transforming our mind, right? There's a renewal of our mind that happens. And so no longer be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed um, by the renewing of your mind. And so it's, it's just two sides of the same coin. And so first, no longer being conformed to the patterns of this world is a command from God. In light of how merciful is, he's saying, I am merciful to you. Now here's how you become this living sacrifice. Stop conforming to this world. And let me say, um, 
just for clarification, because I think we throw around this world uh, idea as like the world's evil and it's, it's bad. And, and in this context, in the first century, Paul was using this as saying the evil world that you live in. And I, I know now we live in a world that we should, our heart should break for and we should strive to make it better and all of those things. But I want you to see what Paul's saying here when he uses this, world wor- this word world is he means evil. He means everything, not God. He means the kingdom of earth, not the kingdom of heaven. And so when he says no longer be conformed to that world, um, he's saying there are patterns that you are building in your life. Um, it's, you are still today setting patterns uh, for where you see your value, for where you find your satisfaction. And so the world is telling us those things, right? Uh, how you're comforted. The world is going to want to program for you how you will find comfort and where you will find comfort. Oh, you need comfort? Here's what you need to do. And the world is going to give you an option that the Lord says, that is a really unhealthy pattern. Oh, you're lonely? Here's how you can medicate that. You're hurting? Here's how you can cope with that. The world is going to give you ways to program yourself. It's not going to. It is. It is giving you ways to program us to set these patterns in our life. Um, we do uh, these, these pack leader trainings um, most Wednesday nights. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, this guy, Matt, speaks uh, this semester at those trainings. And a couple of weeks ago, he did this exercise with us. And I really had no idea what he, where he was going with it. But he asked everyone, there's about 50 or 60 college students in that room. And he was like, all right, what does it take to be popular in middle school? right? Like come up with a list of what it takes to be cool when you were in middle school. And so it was this exercise where we like rambled for a long time on like all the different types of shoes and what you could do and what you could wear and what your haircut needs to look like. And, 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 and it was really interesting because what it, it revealed is that, man, we really are being programmed, right? And, and nobody gave us a manual in middle school to be like, this is what it looks like to be able to sit at the cool table or to be accepted. But we live in a world that even as middle schoolers, we're programmed. We intuitively learn and know, oh, this is what I need to do. This is how I need to act. This is what I need to look like. This is how much I need to weigh. This is, these are the kind of conquests I need to have in my life. This is how funny or this is how good looking or this is how smart. All of these ways that the world is going to say, hey, here's what you need to do to find real value, to find real satisfaction. We are being programmed. And scripture says, stop. Paul says, look, in light of how merciful God is to you, stop being conformed to that pattern that's a lie. You know it's there. You live as a college-age person, man. You are the demographic that marketers are going after. You live in a world bombarded with programming that tells you how to live and how to look and how to act and how to feel. And it's the patterns of the world. But he doesn't just say, don't do that. He also offers the other side of the coin, what to do. Right? And, he, and so it's not just this negative to stop doing something. It's also to start doing it. It's be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That isn't easy. But he says, don't just stop doing this. Yes, stop doing this, but also be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what does that mean? For Paul, for us, it means we, we got to be under the fire hose of the Holy Spirit. It means we've got to be in a place where we are getting our programming from truth and not what the world says, which we unapologetically in this ministry, in this church, say this is who God is and who we are and what he thinks of us and how we cope in healthy ways and how we deal with anxiety and how we discern God's will. 
and, 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 and how we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so if we're not in this, studying this, then we're not being renewed with a mind. We're not sitting under fresh water, right? We're not sitting under the living water as Jesus called himself. We're, we're polluted. This, being in community that submits to this and is growing and is learning and is wrestling with this, right? Being in community with other believers. Do we want to create holy huddles and say, oh man, you don't believe in the Bible, you're out? No, Jesus didn't do that. But he also surrounded himself in his core with other people, in his core group of followers that said, we love you, we love truth, we want to learn, we want to grow. The disciples sharpened each other. They ministered to others, but they sharpened each other with truth, helped make sure they were being programmed correctly. We're in Christian community where we're praying, we're seeking God's wisdom, we're seeking God's word. That's what it looks like. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, <clears throat> this is, you've maybe seen this before. Sorry, I stepped out of the light there for the uh, live stream, guys, my bad. Um, so um, I, this, this is always stuck in my head, and I'm a very visual person, so I'm gonna do this. Maybe it's cheesy. I don't really care. I love you. And it's a, it's a fun way for me because I'm visual. I need to know what that looks like, right? Because I don't want you leaving here being like, okay, I need to read my Bible more and I probably need to like look at less explicit content online, right? Like, no, like we need to sit under Christ. And so one of the things that happens a lot of times is let's say this is our life, right? Um, so maybe you've kind of seen something like this. And this is some, uh, this is some potting soil, right? This is some dirt, and we have that in our life, right? Just There's sin in our life. There's sin in my life. There's sin in your life. Uh, we get exposed. We've got toxins from the world around us, and it gets in our life, and it settles, right? It starts to settle in our life. And so maybe we say, okay, I don't want this anymore. I'm sh I shouldn't do this anymore. So as a, as a believer, as a living sacrifice, I'm convicted. I need to get some of this sin out of my life, right? Maybe when the second song hits here in a second, the Holy Spirit hits you, and it's like, whoa, there's some sin in here, some things that you need to let go of in your life, some things you need to surrender. And you're like, okay, cool, I'm going to fish that stuff out. And as you start to fish that stuff out, right, what happens? Right, you're not going to be able to fish this dirt out. It just becomes more dirt, right? It just spreads more. That's not how sin works. I don't have the power or the ability to, to just, now it's at the bottom of the glass and it's in between the glass and it's all over. And I can try to just grip my teeth and do it myself, but it doesn't work that way. Um, hey, Francis, will you hand me that? Um, pitcher of water. So the best way this works is if we have a constant stepping out of the light. I'm still here live stream, I promise. You can't see me, but I'm still here. There I am. <clears throat> okay, so this idea, no longer be conformed to the patterns of this world, right? It's polluted us. It's toxic. You're not, it doesn't actually bring satisfaction. It brings entertainment at times. It brings coping mechanisms for sure, but God says, I have a different way. Be renewed. Be renewed by the transforming of your mind. Sit under my word. Sit under my community. Sit under my teaching. Sit in fellowship, right? Spiritual, nerdy word for in community with other people who are trying to live this path, this lifestyle. Sit under that. And in doing that, right, picture this as an unending picture. What we do when we do that as followers of Christ is instead of just trying to fish out dirt, and honestly, just spreading more of it. Instead, we say, okay, Lord, renew our mind. And so as we do that, look what happens, right? It stirs, it stirs crap up in our life for sure. But look, as, as God continues, as we continue to sit under this living water that never stops, right, that, that is unending, 
this fountain that Christ is, this fountain of living water, then look what happens, right? All of a sudden, thank God I put these towels here. What a coincidence, (laughs) right? As we do that, see what happens? That's what it looks like. That's the visual for me. Every time I read this, I don't remember who taught me this or told me this one time, but it's always stuck in my head. I want it to stick in your head. And what does it look like to be transformed by the renewing of my mind? Does it mean I got to go fish all the dirt out of my life? I got to stop doing this? No. It means go put yourself under the pipeline of God's word. Go put yourself under the pipeline of the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, would you pour into me? There's crap in my life that I don't even see at the bottom of the glass. And I need you to stir it up and bring it to the surface and overflow out of me. And I'm going to stop trying to fish everything out. And I'm going to start surrendering to you. That's what it looks like. For me, maybe that's helpful for you. For me, that's worshipful. Because I think this is who I am. This is who I need to be. Renewed. Transformed mind. When that happens, when I walk like that, when I walk closely with the Lord and I'm a living sacrifice and God's doing the work of purifying the junk in my life, when I'm under that pipeline of him, then what happens? Then I'm able to discern what God's will is. That by testing, you may discern. So not being conformed, but being transformed by the renewal of your mind. That verse two says that by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so when I say, how do I know God's will? How can you know God's will? How can you know what he wants for you? What you have to ask first is realizing, are you under Christ in a sweet, powerful way? And understanding that God's will, right, is not a decision you make. It is a lifestyle you live. Let me say that again. God's will is not, uh, is not a choice that you've got to make. It's a path that you're going to have to walk. That's what it means to discern God's will. Um, I have a really sweet gig in life right now. And things are crazy right now, so it's fun to say that because right now we're like homeless and our house smells like smoke and we got all kinds of trauma. But in light of everything, man, I have the most amazing wife. She's incredible. I have the most amazing job in the world and all these things. And so people are like, well, man, how did you know? And how did you like make the right choices and get the girl that you did and get the job and get the career and get the thing and get that and, and all of those things. And I, and I always just tell people, man, like, This is what it looks like. It just looks like following Jesus, putting one foot in front of the other as a young adult to say, man, focus not on making the right decision. Focus on walking with Christ deeply. And then as he opens doors in your life, then you say, man, there's peace to walk through this. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure, which means if I'm close to the Lord, if I am just underneath him and he is pouring through me, it's he who works in me to will. He's the one who's working in me. So then I look and I say, well, I, I really like that girl. And I really want to date this Danielle, this Danielle fella. She's not a fella. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> She's very feminine. She was nominated for most feminine, actually. Um, <clears throat> true story, babe. Uh, no regrets. <clears throat> right? Like this, how, man, I really like her. What is it God's will? Is it God's will that I should, should date her? Uh, man, I really kind of want to take this 
underpaid ministry job, but I really like the guy I would get to work for. And man, should I do this? Should I take this step? Is this God's will? And I say, man, am I walking closely with him? And then I check my will. And I say, man, I'm walking close. He's purifying my motives. Is it immoral? No, it's not immoral. Okay, well, then I feel peace and excitement. And I'm going to trust that he's opening that door intentionally. I'm going to walk through and I look up and, and I see, wow, look what God was doing. God's will is not a choice that you have to decide on in a a case-by-case basis, a decision to make. It's a lifestyle to live, surrender to him, living sacrifices. Then we may discern God's will. Would we be this? Would we understand the gospel that has allowed us to do this? The grace of God who said, you're not too wild, you're not too far. I love you where you're at. Sit my son to die for you so that now you can be in relationship with me and I can pour into you and I can make you new and I can renew you. Let's let's repent from the way we are programmed by the world and sit under his fountain. Be changed by him. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. Uh, We love you and we are so grateful for how you love us, God. We really are. Um, Thank you. Um, Would you, God, in your grace, in your mercy, um, help us to respond? Would you, Father, just remind us of who you are this morning? That this morning we would be reminded of the context of the first 11 chapters of this book we study. You are merciful and you are good. And we're so grateful for that. And now, God, in light of that mercy, in light of how good you are, in light of who you are, would we now surrender? Would we now experience being renewed? That's not a That's not a one-time thing, God. It's a a lifestyle. And so, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, for my brothers and my sisters in this room, for people who feel so far from you, for people who don't feel close to you, God, would, would you convict us? What do we need to surrender that we're still holding on to? Where do we need to stop conforming? What do you need to walk away from or turn off or cut out of our life? And God, what are the ways that we can sit under your living water and be changed and sanctified? We want this, God. We want this. We want this. We want to live the way we were designed to live, which is an offering poured up. That is where our worship is. That is where our joy and satisfaction is. God, we need you. Thank you for your word. But Holy Spirit, would you come and would you do this work? This morning, would we leave changed deeper? surrendered for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.